Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Hey, it's Mariners Pod. Gary Hill here. Thanks for being back once again. Big day for the Mariners. Ems get set to take on the Padres, the first of a very quick two-game series. A lot on the line for both teams. It's going to be a fun one today. We're going to talk with Jesse Smith coming up in a few minutes, Senior Director of Analytics for the Mariners. Talk some Cal Raleigh, some bullpen. Also, Tyler Kepner. We'll get a national view of things, the New York Times writer. So that will happen in just a few minutes. So a big, big pod which coincides with a big, big day. A lot happening today as we take a look at the standings. The Mariners now in a tie for the first wild card going into today. It's pretty amazing to look at. The Mariners, 79-61. and 61. Same with the Blue Jays. They're tied at the top. Tampa Bay now 78-61. and 61. Just a half game back. The Blue Jays beat Tampa Bay yesterday to slide into that top spot. And now those two teams will play a double header today. So a lot can happen today with the Mariners in action against the Padres. And San Diego has a lot to play for as well. The Padres, of course, no hope to catch the Dodgers in the division. Right now, San Diego holding the third wild card. But the Brewers, they've won two in a row. The Padres have lost two in a row. So they've cut into the lead. It's just two games now. So a lot on the line for San Diego as they try and fend off Milwaukee. If things have not necessarily gone to plan for San Diego since the trade deadline. It's been an interesting month of September so far. It's really just been a Dodger problem. Uh, they just lost a series to the Dodgers 2-1. to one. They started the month by losing a series to the Dodgers 2-1. to one. Sandwich in between, they took at Arizona 2-1 uh, to one in a series. But you know, losing a couple series to the Dodgers. They're not the first team. They're not the only team that's happened to. A couple of really great pitching matchups coming out the next couple of days in this very brief series. Remember, the Mariners took two from San Diego earlier this season. You Darvish will get the call for San Diego. Logan Gilbert will go for the Mariners. Gilbert has had a couple of really nice starts in a row. He looks to continue, uh, continue his momentum. Blank the White Sox for six innings before that. Six innings of no run ball against the Tigers. So two really strong starts in a row. Actually, more than that because Cleveland pitched into the seventh, only allowed two runs. It's been a nice roll uh, since that start against the Yankees in early August where he gave up seven runs. He's really been pretty consistent since then. Meanwhile, for San Diego, you Darvish... 
gave up three last outing against Arizona. Time before that, blanked the Dodgers in seven innings. That is not an easy task. And, of course, I think everyone knows Darvish and his talent level. This will not be an easy one for the Mariners. Meanwhile, game two of the series, Mike Clevenger, Luis Castile, We'll go in game two, so that should be a fun one. Day baseball coming up tomorrow, so 110 first pitch as this series will wrap up quickly. An off day on Thursday, then the final regular season road trip of the season. It's a long one, four against the Angels, three against the A's, and then three against the Royals. We'll talk more about that as that one gets closer after this Padres series. But big night tonight. We'll see what happens after the double dip between Toronto and Tampa Bay and, of course, what happens with the Mariners tonight. So who knows where the Mariners will be when we talk next. In the meantime, let's take a national view of where the Mariners are at. Tyler Kepner from the New York Times. National baseball writer Tyler Kepner for the New York Times, former Seattle, very short time, Seattle, too short time. but <laughs> It was too short, yeah, 98, 99. PI, right? Seattle PI, yep. All right. Yep. What was your biggest story back in, 19, in those oh, two man. years? I mean, it was such an, I did a, I was a beat writer for 12 years, um, Angels, Mariners, uh, Mets, and Yankees, and that was the only team I ever covered with a losing record in 99, but it was also the most interesting team. I mean, you talk about major things going on in this franchise at that time. They moved from the Kingdome to this amazing ballpark. Um, they hired Pat Gillick as general manager at the end. It was Junior's last year of his first go-round. Um, Alex coming off a 40-40 season. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff going on. <laughs> Freddie Garcia, the rookie, I mean, it right. was coming out of the Randy Johnson trade. It was very, very memorable, but nothing more so than this ballpark. This is just a, a jewel of the major leagues it really is absolutely and we enjoy it every day it's great to see you back here and not just to see you personally but the interest that is in this team right now what brought you here for the three-day weekend well i mean we've all been following it you know nationally just just trying to see when the mariners can break back through to the playoffs um i don't have to tell mariner fans how long it's been but it's it's been a very interesting kind of re restart and, and renaissance here because it's not like it's a small market where they've just sentenced themselves to many years of nothing like they've really tried over the years they've signed certain you know signed major free agents they've gone for it and then pulled back and gone for it but now i think in talking to jerry depoto and getting a real understanding of what's going on here um it seems like they've built something that can last a while um and uh hopefully you know hang some more banners up there in right field tyler what does the baseball world outside of seattle think of this ball club this year, a chance to do something that we haven't done in 21 years, get to the postseason. Uh, what does the rest of baseball think of the Seattle Mariners 2022? Yeah, I think everybody's, you know, everybody's very excited about what they saw from Julio Rodriguez, sort of that coming out party at the All-Star game, um, the big contract he got. Um, all of that's a, a, um, a signal that the Mariners are, are ascending and, and for real. And I think when you see what they did, at the deadline, going out and getting Luis Castillo after signing the Cy Young Award winner, Robbie Ray, from last year. They have a lot of that kind of pitching that can scare you in the postseason series. I mean, I'm sure no team would want to play this this Mariner team, whether they're here um, in Seattle or whether they're on the road, because they've got the kind of pitching that, that can work in the postseason. Hard-hitting question for you. You have a new book coming out, right? The Grandest yes. Stage? yes. Did you record your own audio book? I was going to ask Twice, that. yeah. I did, it, I, I did it for the uh, for the pitching book a few years ago. So great. And I just finished the audio for uh, for this one, yeah. 
Did you enjoy it? I loved it. Yeah, okay. it was great. It's always like the first day is tough because, you know, you're not used to just talking so much. Um, but then after that, you, you're, you know, your voice kind of adjusts. And it's, I loved it. It was great. Now, how did you read it? Did you read it as you talk or did you? No, I mean, I, re- I, I read it normally. How, I, okay. I, do a little, I do a little stuff. On, like you're on, reading it on, to someone? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I do a little stuff on SiriusXM now and then. So oh. I, I kind of have a little bit of radio experience or, or <laughs> voice, there it is. You know, voice experience. There it is. Um, oh. the, funny, the tricky thing, though, is when you're, when you're quoting someone and you need to sort of change your voice, but you don't want to do an impression or anything. So you kind of just maybe deepen your voice or, or, or say, it, say it more conversationally rather than okay. reading a book. You know, if I'm quoting someone, I'll, I'll maybe talk a little faster or try to talk like they may talk rather than the narrator's talking. Mm. You had another book. You have lots of books. But, uh, <laughs> a couple, yeah. <laughs> uh, the K, the, the history yeah. in, in 10 pitches. Yeah. Can you tell people that's a, it's a fascinating book and, and how you put that together? Can well, you give yeah, look? thank you. I, I, I was, that was just such a, um, so much fun to do because basically for three years I just went around. Everywhere I went um, would talk to, would, if you threw one particular pitch really well, I was going to find you, you know, and, and I, and I'm very lucky I did it when I, when I did, because I was able to get guys like Roy Halliday and Phil Necro and Don Sutton and Bob Gibson and, and so many people who, who, who we've lost in the, in the last several years, um, you know, to get their stories of how they threw their best pitch and how they, how they learned it and how they applied it. And that was really, what it really ended up being was sort of a study of the excellence, uh, of the pursuit of excellence by pitchers and, and, and constant innovation. And Jerry DePoto actually was, was, was very helpful um, to me just in, in, in talking about some of the techniques he learned um, in his pitching career of how to spin, how to spin a baseball. And, the, the, you know, he wasn't taught by Johnny Sane, but he was, he was taught um, drills that Johnny Sane gave to his pitchers. And that sort of led me down the Johnny Sane uh, path, and I got to uh, research a lot of the great coaches um, in the past. So, yeah, it was just endless, endless fun and endless learn- learning in that book for me. Is there anyone I know it just came out a few years ago? Is there anyone you would add to that at this point? Oh man, over the last few years, um, yeah, I think I would have to look a little deeper into like a Jacob Degrom, who's really come on. Um, you know, the, the last the last few years, Garrett Cole, maybe. But the the, the biggest thing that's happened in the last four or five years since I, you know, finished writing that book is the information explosion right. and, and, and the, the motion capture stuff that they can do right. to, to, to eliminate some of the trial and error on learning a new pitch and be able to exactly pinpoint this is what you need to do, this is how you need to throw it, right. whereas decades, a century of baseball was a lot of this was trial and error. And it could take months, or if there's a problem and you need to fix something, yeah. it could take, you know... How many days to fit find it? Let alone, yeah. And, and if there's there's still a fun story. Like I talked to uh, just chatting with this, a new Yankees reliever, a kid named uh, Greg Weissert, and who has a great slider, and it got him to the big leagues. I said, "How'd you learn it?" He said, "I went on Twitter and I saw Chaz Rowe uh, <laughs> explaining it to the Rays uh, TV person, and, and then I just picked it up like that." So you, there is still that sort of that's great. Uh, old school, new school. Uh, how do you do this? Let me try it too. So, Tyler, you've been around the game for many, many years, and now yesterday, the day before voted on new rule changes, you know, with the pitch clock and defensive shifts, now two guys on each side of the infield. Now we're going to get back in that DeLorean and go back to the future, you know. And uh, what, do you, what do you think about the changes now, and, and how is this game evolving in your eyes? Yeah, I feel like I, you know, I was born in 75, uh, and I bring that up because Theo Epstein was born in 73, I think. And, and, and so Theo is 
been driving some of these um, issues for the commissioner's office. And he talks about, and he's one of the smartest people I've met in baseball, um, and he talks about trying not to radically change the game, but to bring back more of what the game was like when we fell in love with it. And maybe he's just talking about my particular generation, but I think he's, he's talking about adding more action to the game and sort of acknowledging maybe his part, really, in, um, in the, the analytics movement, which basically figured out the cheat codes to the game. You know, like, why put these infielders in these traditional positions if that's not where they're hitting the ball? I mean, they figured it out very logically. Put the fielders where the balls are hit. But I think it, became, it went from being a novelty sort of thing, you know, only used in special occasions, Ted right. Williams or guys like that. Jr. Right, to, like, it's all the time now. So I just think it, it, I think the shift was very smart, but then it went a little too far. It got kind of out of control. And, I got, you know, we have no problems thinking of illegal defenses in, in the NBA or in, in football. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with having an illegal defense in, in baseball? I, I, you know, I, I, I have no problem with that because I think it's just it, it's gotten a little unnatural from at least the way we've viewed baseball for 100 years. And the pitch clock, too, go for it, man. Speed, speed this I thing up. That. Yeah, <laughs> the pace, keep, keep. Because baseball, when it's played at a certain pace, is just different. It just keeps you on your toes. It's more, it doesn't, baseball's awesome all the time, but when it drags, it's a much different product than when the Things pace is quick. Yep. Yeah. How are you thinking about the wild card race and where the Mariners fit in in comparison to Tampa Bay and Toronto? Yeah, that's really what it is. I mean, I, I would be really surprised if Baltimore um, was much of a threat, honestly. Yeah. I mean, they, they've had a great season. Um, but there's not a whole lot beneath that sixth spot that, that worries me. Mm-hmm. I mean, the White Sox have, have a lot of talent. We saw they took a series here, um, but I just I don't see them making a run on that sixth spot. So, um, yeah, you know, Tampa's been hot. They lost today. Um, Tampa always seems to have some sort of magic formula that gets them in, and then you, know, you don't want to play them either because you just never know what they're going to do. Yeah. Throw nine different arms at you, you know, every inning. So, I, I don't know. And, and, and the, the Blue Jays are one of those teams. It seems like they've underachieved a little bit. Um, but like the Mariners, they're, they're dangerous. They're kind of dangerous in a different way because mm-hmm. you feel like that lineup um, could awaken and, and hit anybody. But um, obviously any team that gets in the playoffs is going to be good and, and have an avenue to win. Um, but if you're talking about power arms and power bullpen and a team that walks and hits home runs, that's what Seattle does. So, uh, you know, if, if they get in, I'm really eager. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you guys obviously too, to just see how it'll all play out. And it's always fun to catch up with one of our very favorites, Jesse Smith, Senior Director of Analytics for the Mariners. Jesse, it's been too long. It is great to see you. Thanks for being here. It has been such a wonderful season. And I was thinking about you coming in, and we haven't talked in a while. And... Whenever a team gets in this position, right, a lot of things have gone really well. When you kind of think about the progression of this season, and really the last three months the Mariners have been the best team in the American League, what is at the top of your list when you think about what this team has done, especially the past three months? The thing that we're all buzzing about is probably not that surprising, is the breakout of Cal Raleigh. Mm. Uh, Like a lot of young players when they come up, it wasn't the smoothest launch for him, and we knew as a prospect, you know, he wasn't he wasn't on the top 100 mm-hmm. prospect list, at least externally. We we always carried him, you know, that he should be in there. But there were certainly a lot of unknowns with Cal, and like a lot of our young players, we just we just didn't know what to expect. And to see 
what he's doing. I mean, I, I actually have, I haven't looked recently at the catcher war tallies, but there can't be more than one or two or three catchers above him. I mean, he's he's, he's in like three and a half wins already, something like that. It's which is incredible. Yeah, given it, it does not take much to be an above average offensive catcher, and that is for good reason because it's very hard to catch. Uh, and, and obviously also what he's done on the defensive side, that I think we always felt really strong mm-hmm. about. Coach's son has always been a great catcher, uh, has always understood and valued that side of the game. So we always felt good about that. But still, to see him come in, gain confidence uh, that, that he's the guy and that uh, he, can, he can tell pitchers what to, what to put down. You know? so, yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's been awesome. I mean, we need those players to to emerge uh to make this a sustainable a sustainable thing for us obviously you can you can bring in big free agents but you can only have so many so uh the homegrown guys like cal that has me sort of drooling looking at the five-year arc here instead of just living in the moment like i should be no doubt the thing that really stands out when i think about cal in his season i look at his barrel rate and he's carrying uh just about a nine and a half barrel rate and in the american league that's in the top 10 and it is with all dudes everyone who's carrying that rate is a who's who in the american league i, I gotta say gary i was i was asleep on that until that uh, until you dropped that tweet and uh that one that one took me back i mean i forget who the other names on the list were but you i mean know. it's trout it's otani it's <laughs> cal Riley definitely sto- stood out as not quite at the level of those guys yet uh but that is the kind of bat that he has. He really can hit. In, in AAA last year, he was really hard to sneak a, a pitch by. Like mm. he didn't. He hardly whiffed. He hardly struck out. And he swung at. He wasn't that selective either. Yeah. I'll put it that way, which is a lot. Which tells you that a player is hitterish, or like in mm-hmm. scouting, just has a strong hit tool. And I think when people first look at Cal, they might not. They might not be aware of that. Just sort of the big power catcher profile that we're all used to you know most most of these big home run hitting catchers they have a groove swing they hit for power they have big arms they strike out a lot and like you know we've seen the strikeouts with cal uh but he can get to a pitch at the top of the zone he can he can really get back to the ball and uh the barrel rate doesn't really surprise me i guess it doesn't which speaks to me that this power is very real Oh yeah, I think it was it was probably off air, but I believe I was telling Aaron earlier on in the season that he was saying that we didn't have that much raw power, and I was citing <laughs> yes. yes, I was citing Cal as a guy that had a ton of raw power that we just had to be a little patient, uh-huh. and uh, you know it's it's not always in the doesn't necessarily get to the Julio one eighteen range, but we see some solid one ten one fifteen yeah. kind of extreme power. So yeah, it's. Cool. We call 110 ultra power in the booth. Ultra that's power. What, that's oh, wow. what we've wow. we've gone to in the booth, ultra. And that's becoming kind of like a Julio trademark. He's got, I think, 25 110 plus so far this year, which he had that screamer the other day over the center fielder's head. That 110 is serious. I'm still mystified how that ball didn't go out, but it's probably just <laughs> because it never had any business getting close to the wall right. at that launch angle. But, uh, yeah, Julio is... That's just ridiculous. But but Cal is not that not that different, yeah. especially when you talk about as a catcher. Right. For sure. For sure. On the pitching side of things, it's been amazing to watch the bullpen come together again and be the backbone of the team again for the second year in a row. What's your favorite pitch in the bullpen? Mm. Which is a really hard question because there's a lot 
of really good individual pitches out there. I know it's hard to pick a favorite. I mean, that's tough. It's, you know, my mind immediately goes to one of, you know, the best pitches, which would just be the, the Munoz slider, of course. But let me think if I can find something a little more nuanced uh -huh. to, to bring to the table here. No, I'm sticking with Munoz. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many good success stories in there. The Seawald slider is obviously a beautiful thing. Even when he's not locating it very well, mm -hmm. like, he can just get away with it because it's just so hard to square up uh, the way the way it comes in. You mentioned all the success stories, and it is, when you look at kind of the roll call and the bullpen, it is amazing to think about all the different ways they've come about. Each of them has an individual story, and the symmetry, it feels like the symmetry between analytics, coaching staff, and player has paid huge dividends, especially in the bullpen. Yeah. Is that the sense that you get too yeah, when you look at it? It's unreal. I think you know. Last year, just I sit in on those on those bullpen calls, and I don't contribute anything because there's we have experts in place, and I'm just <laughs> I'm of zero addition to that. But but it's fun to listen and get the game plan. And I just you know I think about midway through last year when we really we just really felt like everyone was gelling and on the same page, and it just occurred to me that I just. I don't know how all the other organizations do it, and I know there are some elite run prevention organizations mm -hmm. when it comes to the bullpen, so I, I certainly wouldn't claim that we're the best of the best. But I can't really imagine a more in-sync process. Like, yeah, it just seems like we've reached, like, the equilibrium of what of how we are doing it and going about it. And, and I think it's player-friendly, too. Like, it's transparent. The bullpen guys have good expectations about how they're going to be used, when they're going to be used, and, you know, and that can only help things, too. So, uh I do want to come back, though. My, I think my, my more nuanced pitch, and, you know, this one's not too wild, but Swanson obviously deserves some major love, yeah. you know? I think compared to some of those other flamethrowers, he can get overlooked. And, you know, I think uh, in many ways he was probably just fighting to, to be on the roster in spring training because, you know, there were so many good arms. And his career, you know, he started out as a starter like most good relievers do. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and his, the knock on him early was that we just – it, we weren't sure what sort of uh, off-speed stuff that that he would have. Like, his fastball was always good. He could just elevate it, uh, really hard-hit fastball, and we continue to see that, hides the ball well, those kind of things. But uh, could he spin it? And honestly, I think the jury's still out on, on that, but he has found option C, which is that nasty splitter. Oh. And, uh, I mean, I, I think that just takes takes it to another level. And obviously what he's doing, I think his ERA plus is like 4,000. But, you know... Uh, that pitch, uh, that pitch is nasty. He gets some really bad swings on that thing. Yeah, he gives up two runs every other month, which is a pretty fun thing to look at. Yeah. Which is <laughs> really great. There's been so many success stories that it's hard to just point out a few in this conversation. I guess the last one we'll talk about is just the impact that George Kirby has had in such a short period of time. And it's been so interesting to watch his journey, too, along the way, kind of retooling himself as he's been at this level and just the success overall. How impressive has that been from afar to watch everything he has done? So impressive. Uh, from the inside, I, I think at times, like, we've just, we've just been so sold on Kirby for the last couple of years and what he's done, his work ethic, his ability to get better. Mm. You'll hear a lot of coaches talking about it. It's just like most guys, you know, you want to teach them something new. You sort of like, he can just pick it up really fast. Rob your way at those two seams. Like, oh, maybe I can do that. And, you know, he just does it. <laughs> uh, 
we've been expecting this. You know, this is mm. obviously he's performing above expectations. He's been amazing, but it doesn't really surprise us. I don't think like, uh, and, and I think the industry's seen that too. Like George Kirby's, you know, no executive is going to be surprised to see George Kirby at the top of, you know, the, the rookie pitcher class. It's mm-hmm. just, he's just that good. Yeah, super fun. Jesse, thank you for coming by. We really appreciate it. Oh. We'll do this again soon. Let's do it. Let's get to the playoffs.